0: Hello and welcome to the Iron Cannon podcast, your home on the Star Wars Underworld Podcast Network for in-depth discussion on lore, the High Republic and the whole canon of the galaxy far, far away. My name is Matthew and I'm joining all the way across the continent by your friend of mine, Mr. Joel Davis. Joel, how are you doing this week?
1: Hyped for Andor.
0: Hyped for Andor, that's right. We're going to we're going to dive into that in a little bit for you know, looking forward to our show today. Uh first we're talking of course about a princess, a scoundrel and a novel by Beth Revis all at the same time. We're going to do all three at the same time. Also, as mentioned thoughts on the Eve of Andor, it's coming up soon. And, uh, those watching on YouTube, Twitch and Twitter, uh, you can see we got our, our guest in doc. Call you're back to talk all about these things. How are you doing? Very good. Right on, right on. You're very good. All right. Do the, uh, get the little plugs up before we get going. Um, of course, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Iron Cannon Pod. Uh, yeah, we're also, of course, on Twitch at IronCannonPod. Pod. And yeah, give us a give us a shout out. Give us a ask us questions. Give us comments, and we will respond. And we will engage. Uh, always happy to to have those conversations. Also, the Tractor Beam every Thursday or Friday. Comments come out Wednesday, Thursday or Friday. I give my kind of five minutes per book, little discussions, uh, spoilery commentary. ...on the comics that have come out that week. This past week, we've got Bounty Hunters number 25... ...and Obi-Wan number 5, the final issue... ...and one of the best short runs of the new canon. That is available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts... ...as is every episode of the Iron Canon Podcast. Of course, it's available here on the Star Wars Underworld YouTube channel... ...and of course on Twitch and Twitter. But uh, Spotify and Apple Podcasts... ...if you're inclined to do audio only. alrighty, Joel... Uh, let's kick us off with your week in Star Wars. What have you got for us this week?
1: Well, this week, you know, actually, I'm actually going to go with what I wrote in the notes. Um, so, you know what? I've been thinking about all these Disney Plus shows we're getting. And we're going to get Andor. And Andor is like the, they say, the most adult Star Wars. <laughs> and, you know, once we get back to Bad Batch and Mandalorian, I'm curious if, like, I think any of us are going to suffer, like, tonal whiplash. It's like we had Book of Boa Fett, which is very much, it's Boa Fett doing some cool things. We had Kenobi. a little intimate. But more in the line with traditional Star Wars. And now we're gonna get Andor, probably the most adult Star Wars thing, if we believe the reviews to be true. So I'm curious, mm-hmm. um, Doc. I'll start with you since you're our guest. Do you think you're gonna suffer from any tonal whiplash going from show to show, or are you kind of able to like see them all as each doing their own little thing? I mean, I don't really think I'll suffer from tonal whiplash. Um,
2: I I can just I've accepted that Star Wars can be goofy and serious, you know, at once. Uh, you know, we can go from things like uh, some of the sillier episodes of Resistance uh, to like uh, freaking uh, some of the darkest Star Wars we've seen in like Mando and Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, you know, I've just accepted this Star Wars franchise is varied in terms of tone. So I don't really see an issue unless unless, you know, Bad Batch season two, because like As Star Wars shows tend to do, uh, they tend to get progressively darker and more mature as they go on. And Bad Batch season one had some of those moments for sure. So, um, you know, honestly, as long as it stays good and as long as it stays consistent totally, I don't think it'll have any whiplash. Um, I'm just excited to see, like, how this all connects, like, especially with Bad Batch. Like, we know how Mando and even kind of Obi-Wan are all connecting and stuff and influencing larger things. We still have no idea what Bad Batch is ultimately leading to. Like, what is that going to contribute to everything? If, and not say it has to. It can just be its own thing. But, like, what's the plan, you
1: know? Yeah. Uh, Matthew, your think question.
0: Yeah. Uh, I'm going to keep on going with these food metaphors. I just keep rolling with those. Uh, you got your salad. And then you got your your bread and your soup. And then you got maybe some gelato. I don't know how that works. <laughs> then you got uh, a rich meat and then some more gelato and then a pasta, more gelato. I don't know how that works. And then your cake and then some more gelato. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> we have, we've talked about Star Wars being a rich meal of uh, you know, and, and we're, we're more, I guess, we're blessed uh, now than we ever have been. You know, I, I think some things, it just might be, just so much content coming out with with star wars and with marvel and with all you know there's four different shows going on none of them are star wars right now that i'm watching and and they're all they're all pretty great so yeah i mean it, it depends on uh I mean what might what we might see happen is is more not so much fracturing of audience but uh I mean, there are going to be people who gravitate towards. It's naturally always going to happen. There are people who are going to gravitate towards one show over the other. Going to have maybe little pockets, but uh, even if people do tend to to watch everything or read everything or whatnot, so yeah, um, maybe I don't know about which lip lash. I, I get the question. I get the point. Um, it, you know, it, is what another question is. And you know, I'll get to this a little bit with with my my own. Point here, but uh, you know how is how is Lucasfilm going to be able to handle all these different tones and genres, and um, you know the way Marvel again we, the comparison with Marvel is, is there it's salient because they've just mastered every little thing that they've they've set out to do, both in terms of interconnected story of different genres in both film and now uh, on Disney plus and uh, will Lucasfilm be up to the challenge in terms of those different things? Uh, I mean, you know, again, it depends on, on who they bring in and, and who they get to tell these stories to. That's part of the compelling thing. So, you know, I mean, one thing I hope doesn't happen is, uh, you know, we 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 sleep on Bad Batch, say the way we people slept on resistance. I keep saying that because it was a little, little kiddie and a little more silly. Um, you know, Omega is going to be is is the self-insert character for kids and for, for younger audiences that, you know, people might mistake that for a less serious show. And and be, just because it's animated. And so I think that might happen. I will say, and I just mentioned, I went from Bounty Hunters number 27 to Obi-Wan number 5 you know, within about half an hour, and <laughs> the same half an <laughs> hour reading those two books. And, Dang. I mean, those are very different. <laughs> those are totally right. very different. Yeah, I guess I had to do a bit of a reset. I had to close one book, go upstairs, check my phone, take drink some water, whatever. But then I sat down and, and got into a different headspace. And so, if anything, uh, that diversity was nice. That, that mix was... Um, it wasn't just one flavor at the same time it was all different things so yeah uh, i'm not too worried
1: i i i have a you know a force centered podcast always talk about the star wars buffet i think that's always the best way to look at star wars the the buffet (laughs) the food metaphor and you know some people like uh, let's, let's make a prediction like if andor is like fine cooked lobster Pristine off the cuff. You, you know, I, I mean, I'm not a big lobster fan, although I'm probably gonna love Andor. But you know, some people really want their Star Wars to be fine lobster. And then Mandalorian, let's say Mc, Mandalorian's like uh Carl's Jr. We could say McDonald's, but let's give it a little higher end. Like, like Wendy's, let's say like a Wendy's. I you know, like Wendy's isn't always best for you, but you know what? I like my Wendy's. Yeah. I, I feel like McDonald's more, to be quite honest. Um, you know, I like my, 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 my burgers and my fast food fries. Um... Mm-hmm. But, you know, you, you want you want a healthy, you want a balanced meal. Sometimes you want your McDonald's. Sometimes you want your, your, your lobster. And then mm-hmm. sometimes you want, I guess, Kenobi is like your Caesar salad. Somewhere in the middle. Um, yeah. Sorry. Uh, you know, prime, <laughs> steak, um, yeah. prime steak. Um, Prime steak. You know, and, you know, when, when I think maybe that's why early on when we went from uh, Mando to uh, Book of Boa Feds, just felt like, oh, here's more McDonald's. And I like McDonald's. It's like there's too mm-hmm. much McDonald's. And then once you got Kenobi, you got your prime steak. Yeah. And now we're getting our fine, expensive lobster with like. <laughs> and or it seems like who knows what acolyte will be. But yeah. I think if we kind of have that mentality of the Star Wars buffet where it's like, mm, you know what, I don't like lobster, mm-hmm. but I'll have my Caesar salad. Or you know, I'll have yeah. my, my my prime rib. Um, you
0: know, The acolyte then- will be a super spicy <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what like super a super spicy pizza with lots of yeah. like gourmet pizza. With lots mm. of jalapenos and bell peppers. I know. Sorry, I keep yeah, me wrong. <laughs> me hungry. But yeah. yeah uh, I'm full, just so.
1: <laughs> A Star Wars, I think I think that's a good mentality to have. But yeah, mm-hmm. um, I think as long as we keep that, it's like, you know, don't expect everything to be either McDonald's or fine lobster. Right. That I think you're good. And just trying to judge it on its own.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so similar, on a similar note, my thought, is the thought of have been continuing, uh, you know, for, for the last while. But, you know, since, uh, since what's it called, Rogue Squadron, doesn't look like it's happening, or at least anytime soon, doesn't look like Taika, Ty- who knows what's happening with Tyka's film, who knows what's happening with Ryan Johnson's films, whatever. Uh, I, I think we need to just stop. I mean, okay, on the one hand, I get the whole event of Star Wars in theaters. I mean... Again, I, I've mentioned this multiple times here and in, in, in different podcasts, but uh, you know, you know, I again, I get the event of it, uh, the Kenobi event, seeing Rogue Squadron and IMAX a few weeks ago, those were fun, those were wonderful. There's something to that,
1: andor got to the theater, <laughs> yeah,
0: like, yeah, seeing an and, and or uh, theatrical event and all that. I think there's something to that, but um, Lucasfilm just doesn't seem to be investing in that right now. and I I think I at least for me, I've made a lot of peace with that and I've said uh, okay, they're focusing on Disney plus, they're narrowing in and I think the reason for that gets at what I've been saying about Tony Gilroy and Star Wars is that um, all of us and, and the whole uh, whole debate conflict around the sequel trilogy is, we all have different ideas of what star Wars is that we bring into a film that filmmakers bring into a film. And if we go into a a multi-billion dollar film that doesn't say, this is what I think star Wars is, we're all going to just run out of the theater screaming and, and going to take into Twitter and, you know, all that, all that vitriol, nonsense, rancor, whatnot. Um, the thing about a Disney Plus series is that it can take the time to establish what Star Wars this is, what what part of Star Wars this is. You know, Mandalorian has clearly te- took the time to establish this is original trilogy, this is bounty hunters gritty uh, Wild toys. West, Kenner Toys Wild West. You know, John Favreau's generation, Deborah Chow with Kenobi had to take the time it took a good four or five episodes really to say this is a continuation of revenge of the sith this is you know i should have worn my hashtag prequels t-shirt speaking Four center uh this is all those folks who really thought deeply about the, that film specifically and I mean and attack of the clones to some extent too but it took the time to do that and um i think lucasfilm is worried one of the things that i maybe the considerations one of the things maybe i'm concerned with with all the films is you know i mean we talk about rogue one that first act just flies by zoom 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 and it's okay because we know it's going to be original trilogy it's going to be you know, a new hope it's going to <laughs> lead up we know that the story is but uh you know it, you know both last jedi and rise of skywalker didn't have the time to do that and so um, you know, Last Jedi was maybe a little more prequel, and Rise of Skywalker, of course, was, was more more original trilogy, if I can use that, you, you know what I'm getting at there, you know, prequel, at the height of their powers, Darth Sidious from the Empire, wiped them out, why is my hero Luke? I'll say Force Awakens, you know?
1: I'll, I'll, I'm gonna give some leeway to Rise Skywalker, I felt that was yeah. prequel in a weird way.
0: Oh, sure, that. it has its, you know, especially in the first act with, with that, mm-hmm. but my point being, um, Uh, a a film just doesn't have the time to work on people. And this is a problem specific to star Wars. This is not necessarily, this is not a problem specific to star Trek or game of Thrones or whatever, you know, star Trek could make their fourth movie. And I think people would get what's happening. Uh, And and so, you know, that's another reason. That's one of the reasons why I think they're just saying, okay, we also don't have the money. We don't have the resources, or if we have the money, we're just focusing it on, on the safer bet of, of, The thing that takes that gives us enough time, and/or is going to be the longest thing yet. I mean, those twelve episodes, not counting the animated shows, uh, are going is going to be of among the live action. It's going to be the longest thing we've gotten, longest single Star Wars story live action we've gotten. Quite that you think about it, it's going to be twenty four episodes, and uh, you know who knows how long those will be. But that's that's my thing. So I think we need to take all that news like i took that news of okay you know rogue squadron's off the schedule but yeah of course it is that lucas film lucas film is not really focusing on films you should start okay, calling the lucas show lucas shows <laughs> Sorry. Right. anyway so yeah that's that's my two cents i've gone on a long time about that uh doc do you have any any thoughts on that to add
2: no, not really just as long as it stays good and it stays varied and consistent like i'm I'm cool with that uh mm-hmm. just make sure and there is such thing as too much of a good thing i think what ultimately matters is that they uh do different and unique things with each thing they put out if they start to tackle the similar things and try to go for similar tones i think it is going to start to feel a bit exhausting but as long as they keep them varied and keep them unique uh I think uh they can uh, make sure that Star Wars as a franchise just stays varied and stays uh creative and doesn't fall into just doing the same things over and over again, which yeah. i've an issue I've kind of had with Mandalorian at points, and I hope that um that they focus more on bringing new things and new ideas and just keeping the franchise more uh varied and more unique with You're each impression yeah yeah.
0: Okay.
2: Oh,
1: yeah i'll I'll, I'll add a for- few sets uh. Well, they we are doing a movie just called Indiana Jones, uh, which is <laughs> which is happening, and it's yeah. way in production. So, they But make, it's not they,
0: Star Wars. It doesn't have the same problems Star Wars yeah. has. Anyway, go ahead.
1: Well, Lucasfilm is still making films, just not Star Wars yeah. films right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, I think with the Disney Plus shows as well, you know, something that they don't have to worry about is um, they don't have to necessarily worry about wide audiences. They just have to worry about demographics. Like... I mean, you know, I'm not going to say, judge, like, who likes what? Anyone can like anything, really. (laughs) Um, But as I've said before, Andor is kind of being marketed as, here's Star Wars for grown-ups. You're going to like this. Maybe your five-year-old or eight-year-old, probably won't. (laughs) Um, Mandalorian's a little bit more of a wider audience, probably more like, you know, kind of like people like action movies and kind of more, um, you know, kind of fun kenner toys thing um obviously kenobi is for everyone who loved the prequels and wanted more of that yeah. um or just loves ewan mcgregor um in the role so you know the demographics of that are different so i think that's as long as sort of like every show kind of again you know aims for some different demographic aimed for a different tone obviously adds new stuff too but mm-hmm. you know it's like i don't know what acolyte's gonna feel like acolyte might not appeal to everybody um you know within reason yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean um but yeah i think that's definitely something the movies have trouble doing because the movies kind of have to appeal to everybody so maybe they're looking for whatever the next Mm -hmm. wide appeal thing is um and they said no movies until before 2024 so you know if i'm looking for a movie i still think 2025 is like the best bet unless that's something less tight could fall through or whatever i'm sure they wanted to new rogue squadron but for whatever reason that didn't work out Mm -hmm. so you know my guess, maybe 2025 with Taika. Who knows? But, uh, yeah, I think yeah. that's sort of the, the advantage of Disney Plus series
0: right now. Well, that's a great point. I mean, the advantage I think you're talking about is the money, right? The subscription <laughs> is the same. I am paying however much I'm paying per year. You're paying however much you're paying per year. Whatever you end up watching. If you watch National Geographic, you watch uh, – I, I get Hulu folded into my Disney Plus. you know, And then I got all Marvel and Star Wars. It's all the same price. Whereas a film, it's I gotta pay twelve ninety nine Canadian to, to go see this film. I gotta pay this one time. It's a much bigger gamble. Yeah, and so you're right, they have to it does have that wider appeal. It might have that lower common denominator approach that I still wonder if Force Awakens, I mean, you know it, uh, it, it succeeded, it had to do that, but you know, as a strategy long term, they haven't it, it doesn't seem thankfully and this thing I'm glad that they're doing this focus. I'm glad I you know, like Doc, you're saying it it makes for more diverse star wars it, you know makes for uh, a, a wider buffet because again, the economics of it allow for that. Um, you know again, it'd be it'll be nice. We can have our cake and eat it too a little bit in this in those theatrical events. It'd be nice if for some reason Marvel is still able to cash in on, actually having its cake and eating it too with uh with four films and four series a year yeah yeah, i mean i mean maybe it's just unfair to compare to marvel now i don't know they are the juggernaut they are they're the champion and lucasfilm just gotta do what you're doing (laughs) just just keep on keep on uh chugging along all right speaking of chugging along we're gonna chug along one last little bit on this week uh i did the math there is 31 hours uh less than 39 hours until the Andor three episode premiere we've touched on Andor a little bit um doc how are you feeling just on Andor on this this three episode premiere on the whole show as uh, as it's coming up
2: uh i've been waiting for this show since the movie turned six years old this very year right and uh i'm very 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 excited um uh, just the idea of exploring the Rebellion more, uh, getting more into the nitty gritty of how it started out. Cause like, mm-hmm. I mean, Rebels is kind of the Rebellion origin story in a way, mm-hmm. but it's through the lens of the ghost crew. Whereas this movie, this show is going to be focusing explicitly on Mon Motha and Sal Guerrera and the big people who got uh, the Rebellion going in the first place. Mm-hmm. So we're really going to see the groundwork for that get laid in this show. So mm-hmm. uh, that's uh, the big thing I'm excited about. Also uh, just, uh, Getting more of a political drama in Star Wars, focusing more on like the street level, like uh, just uh, people rising up against the Empire, the first first acts of rebellion, uh, getting to see Cassian's early life, fleshing out his character, getting to see how he comes to be who he is by the time of Rogue One. And, uh, yeah, it's just going to be really fun to see uh, 24 episodes overall across uh, this entire show. Uh, It's going to be really fun getting 12 episodes this year. Uh, probably 12 episodes next year. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm excited to see. This really feels like a passion project on Lucasfilm's part. This feels like a story they really want to do and something they've been excited to do for a long time. And I can't wait to see what they've got for
1: us. Mm -hmm.
0: Joel, are you okay? 31 hours, are you okay?
1: (laughs) I can make it. I can make it. I can make it. Um, Yeah, I I agree with everything Doc has said. Um, Fun fact, we just watched Rogue Squadron together, he and I um rogue i'm one. not sure if that's Rogue,
0: on his- one. rogue one, one that'd be amazing uh, if saw rogue squadron no
1: bad. we went to the future um we went to, the, <laughs> we went to an alternate dimension sell rogue one on his channel i'm not sure if that commentary is up yet um it uh, literally
2: just dropped like 20
0: minutes ago nice okay, okay
1: great um and it's it's cool, cool to be we watch that movie and kind of just get like rogue one the 12 episode season mm-hmm. and two seasons of 12 episodes like an extension of that um so that's awesome. You, you know, uh, Dr. Right, you know, Rebels is also kind of the rebellion origin story, but I think more from the micro level, just used to go through. Here's the more big macro level. Like we got Mothma, the Senate, Saw, we uh, might see Palpatine. Um, we got the Imperial Senate, the Senate, and the Imperial Senate. <laughs> you know, and it's all through the lens of, of Cassian, Cassian andor, Andor, mm. as I like to call them. Um And so, like, yeah, this is. I would almost argue that, and you know, it's interesting. I, I know we're I keep pushing back our re- book review, but um, Rogue Which, One, probably outside of maybe The Last Jedi, probably the most influential of the Star Wars films we've gotten in the Disney era. I would probably say Rogue One, Last Jedi, Force Awakens, Rise of Skywalker, and Solo. Um, Force Solo. That's fair. Um, that's fair. But, um, in terms of just their effects on both the canon but also out of universe as well and kind of how much just sort of of that movie has sort of sprinkled its way through everything from mm-hmm. order Kenobi Mandalorian uh, you know be it stuff from in the universe or the fact that uh, the cinematographers have uh, worked on the Mandalorian season one I believe um, so there's that and um, yeah this is this is kind of the experiment I've been wanting to see kind of you know, I've been saying uh, Kenobi and uh Andor are gonna take Disney Plus shows to the next level. I think mm-hmm. Kenobi did that in a smaller sense from the story writing perspective. I think Andor is gonna, gonna do that all around. And I'm kind of curious to see you know this is this is gonna the show is trying to be more than just Star Wars. Yeah. Um and like it's, it's exciting and I'm so I'm so excited to see people's reactions. So excited to get talk about it. Um I've been waiting for this, yeah, since the film was six years old. I not since I was six years old, but yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I can't wait. Uh but Matthew, what about you?
0: Monmouth, uh, the Senate, uh, give it to me. That's specifically, I mean the thing I'm looking forward to most, but also radical protest politics. Um, you know, the plight of you know immigrants and refugees being displaced and and want, you know facing a system that is not for them and and hearing that voice you're hearing that voice yes i have this voice in my head saying you know royal funeral everything uh you know er everything that's meaningful there for me at least but also a lot of people displaced a lot of people uh, abused and oppressed by imperial systems and which is uh, very relevant is here yeah and so um and, and you know i mean bring the two together somehow it might be it might be a, a a good mom mothma story but uh in, in this for andor um yeah just reach out for i want, want source i mean think about last jedi right it, it reached beyond the screen and and whacked us in the face a little bit <laughs> i like being <laughs> preached to i'm kind of a kind of a glutton for that but uh looking forward to to andor preaching to us so yeah keep your eye on uh you know on here on Ion cannon Um uh, all over the, the Star Wars Underworld Network. Keep your eye on the Underworld Network. See what I did there. Uh, for all, all of our endor coverage, we're definitely going to have uh, have you know we're definitely going to be talking about that here on Ion Cannon. Going to bring it back up uh, the Eyes on Screen segment as well. I, I, I know the flagship Star Wars Underworld is going to talk about it. Uh, I'm sure Tales Beyond the Galaxy and and the whole whole host uh, of podcasts here at the Underworld Network are going to dive into this show because it's going to be the the main event in Star Wars. So. Uh, looking forward to that. Again, uh, 30 and a half hours. 30 and a half uh-huh. hours, I can do math, guys. <laughs> you do so,
2: math. Uh, I just want to say, I'm glad that they pushed back Bad Batch season 2 to January because mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. I, I was very scared that the rumors that it was going to air alongside Andor were true because like, Bad Batch was going to get buried by Andor if that mm-hmm. happened. Like, like The Star Wars fans like us, we would watch both, but the vast majority of like casual people who watch Disney+, if they saw, do you want to watch Andor or Bad Batch, everyone was going to click on Andor. Yeah. Now. yeah. So I'm glad that Bad Batch is going to get a chance to stand on its own and not be buried by another thing. Mm-hmm.
0: And also, even that they moved moved Andor. I mean, uh, I don't know about you guys, but you know, was it was going to be a month ago or so. this flew by, and I'm, you know, it, again, we're we're on the eve of it. I, I don't need to tell you the number anymore. I told it three times, but <laughs> we're on the eve of it, and uh, yeah, it's it's here, it's coming, um, and yeah, I, I, they they took time to get it right, so. There you go, thirty-one hours to go. all right. So, uh, <laughs> our main topic. Let's get this. Oh, I'll do that there. The Princess and the Scoundrel by Beth Revis. Yes, Ooh. doc, you've got it. I got the poster right there. Got that I have
1: thing. an audio book on my computer. So. Yes,
0: I got an audio book on my phone. Uh, but yeah, I think I got you. It's it's the reverse of the poster. Uh, the Shadow of the Sith poster that Adam Christopher signed. So, this is, so it's, I got that celebration at the Delray booth right there. Happened to be right there. Oh, I, right there just when Adam Christopher was signing. So I should have just put that up when, anyway, I'm getting, getting my life in order here after celebration <laughs> four months later. Princess and the Scoundrel by Beth Revis. Uh, we gave this a listen to, Joel and I, Doc. I don't know if you give this a listen to or a read, but before we dive into. And,
2: uh, I read yeah. it and I like to do the voices myself while I yes. read it. So yes
0: very good so uh so joel then i'll 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 set this up and then i'll, I'll uh throw this to you because this is the first audiobook i've done in a while and so i can actually talk about this aspect of it in the media and the audiobook production uh they tried to do something different with this they tried to do uh they used two voices had both saskia merylveld and mark the canon legend thompson uh, of course, Saskia Marleville doing the, the Leia chapters, both her dialogue and everyone else's dialogue and narration. And then Mark Thompson doing the Han Solo, uh, the dialogue and other characters and narration. Um, so it was partway between a standard audiobook and an audio play, especially that really came forward that last chapter with both voices. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll just say, well, I'll, Joel, I'll throw this to you first. Do you, do you think that worked, or, or do you think that, uh, th- uh, what's the word, uh, drew back, uh, took away from the production, from the storytelling?
1: Um, I liked it overall, honestly. I thought it was interesting, especially if the book itself was going to be Han, Leia, Han, Leia. Mm-hmm. Then I thought, you know, oh, they, you know, do something a little unique with the audio. It's like, you know, have Mark Thompson. Uh, do you know his usual thing, and then have this other uh, this other person do Leia's chapters? Mm-hmm. Oh, I liked it. Uh, you know, I'm I'm always a sucker for Mark Thompson myself because he's kind of the definitive Star Wars audio uh, book person in general, and I have a lot of them. Like he, like he, like I used to say, oh, they should have gotten him for strong because I'm so used to his strong voice. He, uh, he does Harry.
0: great. He does great.
1: Yeah. Uh, especially if you ever listen to the classic Air of the Empire when mm-hmm. before you know, um, uh, uh Lawrence Mickelson did kind of did his own rendition. Uh, but I love Laura think, Don't get me wrong; great. Um, you know, so I used to, that, um, But no, I, I thought it was fun. I thought it was cute. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I had no real problems with it. Inherently.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I found it was effective in conveying the feeling, um, conveying the getting us into the mind, the different minds of the two characters. The one part that kind of threw me off is when you'd have a second character uh, say that the. Uh, the prime minister, or even, uh, even Mon Mothma, I think to some extent, but yeah, you know, or I like that the, the, uh, the imperial agent that comes in kind of partway through or more than partway through. Um, we'll get to her in a minute in, later in the show. Uh, when, when we inter- get introduced or, or like those side casts of characters on the ship, yeah, uh, that kind of was just odd when you'd have, okay, we get used to them with one voice and oh, then it's a different voice, but, uh, you Know, I mean, again, that, that's I guess the the cost of trying this thing out that's new. Um, again, overall effective. I don't know if they, uh, I mean, it, it, this book really lent to it, lent it to that. Uh, I mean, just the way it was structured, and the way it was very much. I mean, I wonder if the three of us had that in mind a little bit, or the folks in the story group had that in mind. So, yeah, it mostly worked. Um, but yeah, I, I would have rather. They go full bore i know it costs more money but the actual audio plays that they've put out the full blown uh the dooku jedi lost um uh the dr afra and the uh lorna d audio plays those were fantastic so um,
1: the, the audio books more or less always have one narrator and yeah. they have the music cue so I, I feel like if you just like listen to i don't know alphabet squadron or even the mm-hmm. assists on mm-hmm. audio i think you uh, probably maybe have a better experience because they're practically audio play just with you know the actual
0: narration part. Basically. Yeah, so. and I mean I mean both in terms of the actual performers, I mean again Mark like you mentioned with Mark the and Legend Thompson, Saskia Marlevel doing doing fantastic with with Leia. I mean what I found with both of them do a really great job of narrating the emotions of the character point the point of view character that's what Mark Thompson does almost better than the voices themselves. He really, you feel what the character feels that they're observing something happening. So, um, always glad to hear his voice. The soundtrack, uh, mostly was fine. I think so. There were some moments where I thought it was just an odd choice. Um, like the Jedi theme when, uh, Leia's musing about her, her origins with Vader and, um, yeah, different, different things that kind of took me out of it. But, uh, you know, I mean, that's a hard thing, a hard job to do, also, is to pick all those soundtracks. So, uh, I don't know, uh, Joel, if you have any thoughts on on the soundtrack, the score, thinking John no, Williams, I'm,
1: I'm used to, I'm just kind of used to a Star Wars audiobook, kind of just doing that, like, yeah. you know, and like when the, reading the sequel trilogy, watching the sequel trilogy, it's like the put, like, I don't know, something from A New Hope in there, where it's like this is where a sequel trilogy queue It's like they never put sequel trilogy cues. They I would just go to prequel. Yeah. Although you probably hear more prequel music in the sequel trilogy era that way. So there you go. That's possible. That's um, possible. Yeah. But um, yeah, it, 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 that's just somebody's kind of used to that at this point. Like, yeah, do a little stage mm-hmm. when Kylo and Ray are fighting. Uh, but the, are I, I wanted
0: winning. that in Rise of Skywalker, frankly. <laughs> so, yeah, so there you go. You yeah. get that in
1: the novelization. I, I should uh, check
0: that out. I should check that out.
1: I actually don't know. I'm just making it up, but okay. Yeah. That, that'll
0: be really sure. I mean, I'm sure on somewhere on YouTube uh, after this, when, when we're done here, Go, someone find, go to YouTube and do do the fake Ray and Kylo Ren. I'm sure oh, I'm it's sure. I'm sure it's yeah. there. So, okay, so now uh, talk about the whole the the general thoughts, general feelings. Um, Doc, I'll throw this to you again. As our guest, um, first of all, the, the the without necessarily going into too much detail, but maybe touch on a little things if you want, a few things if you want. Uh, overall thoughts on Princess and the Scoundrel by Beth Revis. Uh, This is in my top 10 favorite Star Wars novels, period. High praise. I thought this was a
2: very, very good read. Um, I was very, very happy with how Beth Rebus told the story. Um, I was very uh, pleased with uh, how uh, Han and Leia and everyone else were written. This really felt like a novel that could have come out, like, after Return of the Jedi. Like, I mean, Mm -hmm. obviously there are certain things that get referenced here that weren't part of the canon at the time, but... Uh, just in terms of the style of writing and how the characters are written, it really felt classic Star Wars to me, uh, this whole book. Um, personally, I think this is a really good middle part of what I like to call the Leia novel trilogy. Uh, for me, the, for me, that trilogy is Leia, Princess of Alderaan, this book, and Bloodline. Mm-hmm. For me, those three books are like a really solid Leia trilogy. Because like, each of those books talks about a different uh, point of Leia's life, getting into her head, how she's dealing with certain things. Uh, with Leia Prince of Alderaan, we're talking about her childhood, her early life in Alderaan. With this book, we see a relationship with Han and the Rebellion and how she's dealing with the Empire being gone. And in Bloodline, we see, you know, the beginnings of the sequel trilogy. And I think each of those books does such a good job of showing how Padme, deal, Padme Leia uh, deals with these different aspects of her life mm-hmm. and uh, these different points in her life and how she's dealing with that and the rest of the galaxy as a whole. Um yeah. For me, this is probably my favorite portrayal of Leia and Han's relationship in any Star Wars media. I thought they were absolutely true. fantastic and adorable in this. I loved all their little interactions. I love how I love how smitten Han is with Leia, but he's still trying to play the cool guy, failing. <laughs> and uh, I love how Leia is still dedicated to her job, even though she's also trying to relax and enjoy her honeymoon. Um, I love the wedding with the Ewoks. I thought it was so fun. And so, uh, so very fitting for the Ewoks and for Leia and Han as well. Um, I love all the little, I love my favorite parts of the book are when we get into Leia's head and her feelings towards Vader. Um, I thought that stuff was brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, she doesn't accept Vader as her father, she doesn't even want to consider him her family. Uh, he's ha- she's having trouble seeing what Luke sees in him. I think that's really cool. That they address that here. Um, and she doesn't even when she thinks about her force sensitivity, she doesn't want to think about it in terms of her father. She just thinks about it in terms of herself and how she mm-hmm. thinks about the force and what she yeah. wants to use it for. And um, getting into um, just the general state of the galaxy and the rebellion, like I like that they're trying to. They I like that they have to like put forth the idea like the empire is really gone. Please believe us on this because a lot of people still don't believe the empire is gone. <laughs> yeah, are a lot of yeah. Are like, like the empire is not like mm-hmm. if your people don't even know the emperor dead <laughs> dead uh but um dead. they're, they're <laughs> uh, but uh i like that yeah. uh, they have to also like put on a good show for the public while they're on their honeymoon i think that's really fun um mm-hmm. uh, the stuff on madur's was really cool i thought it was a cool location i like the whole thing with like the ice architecture and the ice artwork i thought that was a cool idea also placed mm-hmm. the themes of the eye uh, the book of like nothing lasts forever mm-hmm. like 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 the artwork on the planet, it melts eventually, so you got to keep replacing it. Um, and uh, also that cool little uh, villain reveal near the end of a character who I never expected to come back from an earlier. <laughs> uh, that was fun, and uh, yeah, just a very very good read, uh, very fun, and uh, yeah, I'm just glad that uh, Han and Leia finally got their wedding and.
0: Uh, <laughs> Yeah. yeah, putting uh, putting Beth Hervis alongside the Master Claudia Gray, that's that's high praise and, and deserved praise, I will say. That's a great point. Uh, a Leia trilogy, especially given how there are connect connections to Princess of Alderaan and and Bloodline. Uh, Joel, general thoughts, go for it.
1: Yeah, I actually never thought about it being like a Leia trilogy, but I actually think it's a good point. Um, I, I liked it. I wouldn't put it in my top ten. I think I liked the first act probably the most and it kind of loses me a little bit um but that first act is really strong i just love everything on endor and you know kind of seeing this the wedding actually take place as doc said i love seeing leia deal with you know vader being her father i love actually seeing the fact that as much as she kind of denies it i think leia is very much like her father there's lots of moments where she sort of <laughs> jumps the gun and kind of almost creates her own i don't want to say creates her own downfall but kind of like creates a situation where it's like you're trying to prevent something so hard, you accidentally caused it by mistake. Michael B.
2: you passionate like your father.
0: Yeah.
1: Yes. Um, you know, like seeing the state of the galaxy, people <laughs> think of the empire is gone, but clearly it's not gone. Um, uh, you know, we got a whole aftermath trilogy to say, nope, still here and still <laughs> doing, still doing, doing stuff. Um, you know, the house stuff was fine. Um, I love Han in this. You know. He, is a supportive husband and you know just always trying to be good best play as possible um but yeah overall a pretty good addition to the post endor to jiku era of excuse me star wars storytelling mm-hmm. and good job on beth Revis, who i really like i definitely loved her rebel rising which yeah. is definitely one of my favorites again has a really strong first act
0: yeah I'll, I'll say this book was very well written it was very well uh i mean her Revis's command of the language and and ability again to you just even in the text itself to get it to switch between the two characters to get into what they're thinking and how they're feeling what they're experiencing and what they're doing and and how you know, on the ship especially they go off into different directions and how it ends up meeting up at the at the end that was it was really well plotted out and planned out and, and structured joel i'll agree with you uh at the, be- the the first part was was really great um yeah the first part was really great the you know the uh yeah like the everything on on endor especially uh with, with mon and leia which we'll get to that in a second um the the uh yeah the, but then you know it kind of yeah lulled. like why are we getting this description of this animal why are we getting? Uh, you know the all these these details. We got there later, but uh, you know uh, it wasn't so sure. Maybe that's maybe the the issue with uh, the audio book and, and having to concentrate on that. And so maybe uh, you know on paper it might have been better. But um, yeah, sorry. We're we gonna okay. Well, we're good. We're good. Just making sure everything's okay on the on our end. There we go. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I again, I I you know doc that theme of. Uh, you know, art and and nothing lasts forever, and um, you know, preserving the good at where it is and where it's at in the moment. those was, uh, you know, and very very poetic and very well portrayed, as we'll see uh, with with Leia. You know, with Leia's own story. Interestingly, uh, and we'll get to one of these in, in a second, but two things we haven't really mentioned much of is is the Halcyon and how. Uh, oh, we were all worried that was this going to be just an ad for Galactic Star It Really wasn't. They really did a good job of letting the the setting serve the story, and and you know I'm sure some things are. Oh yeah, you get to see this thing, you get to see that. Yeah. I mean the the I guess the Will Sliney comic probably there's more about that, but um, you know right. just like uh, yeah I probably should uh, give give uh, Black Spire a read also. You know just for the similar reason. Uh, the Will E comic with uh, Galaxy's Edge uh, does that as well. Again, it, again, not and probably because that's visual, and so it, it also doesn't. N- the bulk of the story doesn't take place on, on the house. It takes place on this Medeors, which I hope Galactic Star Cruiser doesn't actually land, dump anyone on. Cause uh, yeah, they will be, you know, North of, North of here. It's colder North yeah. of here. <laughs> yeah. Definitely not in, in Florida. It's not like that. So um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. again. I won't, I won't say this was my top 10, but uh, top 15, I'll give top 15. There were, there were some parts where really were really compelling. And we'll let's dive into some aspects of that. Let's start with that, especially that first little chunk there. Uh, big oh, picture okay. with so you want to go and go ahead, Joel.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, I just wanted also to also mention, um, I noticed see the not in the notes, but I also feel like we should set aside a little time to talk about. Oh, I guess Doc might be having his technical difficulties That's a good. after all. Uh, text about uh, the one and only Luke Skywalker. Oh, yes. that good. yeah, um, uh, but-
0: no, yeah, I, I added a little bit in the notes about Luke in a bit, but.
1: Okay. Yeah. But like, the big picture. Um, yeah. So, I, yeah.
0: So let me. I'll I'll set that up and then and we'll dive in there. So uh, the big picture with with Leia and Mon's politics and all the the conversations with the the burgeoning is it the Rebel Alliance is it the New Republic? Uh, really fascinating conversations about the need to secure allies and prospective members of the New Republic and the need to show military strength but also diplomatic endeavors and and approaches. Um, Leia herself, and again, we'll go into Leia's character needing to transition between being a soldier and being a diplomat. Uh, also, and part of that, part of that, needing uh, secure prospective members, they need to secure resources and fuel. You know, we talk about Lando, and it was about the, the the mobile video game coming back and and giving those references to that uh, in this era of trying to retake Bespin or Cloud City, uh, of course. In the Chuck Wendig interludes, uh, we see that, but the push for that. And of course, Lando having his own kind of interests, but uh, it's it's a serious concern, right? You need to fuel these ships, you need to fuel these cities, especially if there's going to be lots of civilians. There needs to be resources. And so it needs to need the need to secure these resources quick and soon. Um, I think the biggest, the, the most fascinating underlying thing. Uh, Doc, you mentioned the connections to Bloodline, and, and you, I think you and you alluded to Operation Cinder. Yeah. Uh, you know that there's the, the first stirrings of it. You know there is. You know why why doesn't is it is it Beck that's her name? Why doesn't she get pulled over, or why does she get called out, um, or, or rather, I think it's why are, why do all the the troops in the the Imperial Tower why are they being evacuated? Probably to to be massing on Jakku because everything's starting to be set in motion for Operation Cinder. Uh, yeah, again, I mean, paper cannon connections. I'm here for it. I love it. Uh, and Beth Revis doing, again, a great job of not bashing us over the head with it, but saying, yes, this is what's happening right now. This is what's starting to happen. We know from the Battlefront uh, camp- Battlefront 2 campaign that immediately these things, in the Shadowed Empire comic, immediately uh, you know, the Emperor is, is dead, so things get triggered and said into motion lastly and this is the question i'll throw to you guys but you can also of course comment on anything i've said here um uh, you guys mentioned how you know this question of the war is over the emperor is dead palpatine's dead so the war must be over right and eh, not so much and, and like chuck Wendig saying you know the uh you know, regimes don't just change overnight uh wars don't just end overnight it can take about a year, or in Legends, it takes a couple decades, right, to for the regime to change over. So, um, two questions, Joel. I'll start with you. With both of these, what do you think of the uh, the overall big political picture, especially that gets set up uh, on Endor, and then later a bit on Midus, and um, the belief that the war is over since the Emperor is dead? Is that naive? Is it realistic, or is it just propaganda? <laughs>
1: Um, I think from, I think this might be a little bit of a criticism or just even, not even a criticism, just kind of an interesting choice. Um, <laughs> I just think it's a little naive on Leia's part. I mean, it's kind of the the robot chicken joke of like, you know, like the emperor's dead, but like we have millions of star systems and troops and this. <laughs> like, when, no, no, they killed the emperor, you see, and Vader. So the war's over, Empire dead. But we have all these, you know, um... I, I don't know. I always, it's a little weird, I guess, maybe. I mean, that Leia, or maybe just Leia's very gun ho about, it, like, Emperor's dead, yay! Um, but, I mean, uh, the Nazis, again, the Emperor and died. That's true. Yeah. Uh, that's true. Although, to be fair, the, the the Soviets and the Americans pretty much had no terror, pretty much had Berlin circled. So, uh, but no, I mean, I think there's definitely regimes that, like, when someone died, it's like, they collapse like that, so I'm always willing to give it a little bit more of a leeway of, like, yeah, the Empire's always been a, a house of cards just ready to tumble, mm-hmm. and it took a Death Star and another Death Star to really, um, to really, you know, watch it all go downhill. Uh, mm-hmm. but I just think it's a little naive to think, of to think, later oh, yeah, like, all the Star Destroyers and the Troopers, they're all just gonna pack up and go home, um, and obviously, you know, I think M- Mothma kind of realizes that a little bit, um, but I do think maybe Leia's feeling a little too optimistic of the fact that the Empire's dead. It's all over. When it's like, oh no, it's not. The empire still has resources, even if it's fact, even if it's breaking up into warlordisms. There's still mm-hmm. a somewhat central command trying to pull together what's left, as we see in the aftermath and Alphabet Squadron. Um, in that regard, so yeah. uh, it's it's definitely interesting.
0: Yeah, um, Monmouth certainly has. That urgency of of we need to actually take action, um, John. If you had any more to say, that or I can throw it to Doc. I oh,
1: know, throw it to Doc. I think yeah,
0: the Doc. What do what do you think of, of that question about you know the empire? Is the empire over or the war is over because the Emperor is dead? Naive, realistic, or propaganda? And then what do you think of uh, the politics generally in this book, the, the Galactic on, politics?
2: I think on one hand you want to. You just want to give the people hope like yeah like we we want end to worse so uh um we we've taken the emperor invader out of action so like uh you want to celebrate that and you want people to know that they just did a big thing but at the same time you don't want to get complacent and feel like okay like the empire is like never going to come back like clearly that isn't true um yeah. still out there still doing their thing and um uh, so it's a difficult it's a difficult balancing act you want to like uh you want to let people know that, you know, this is a major victory and like, uh, we did accomplish something great, but at the same time, um, that threat isn't going to go away forever and there's going to yeah. be future things to deal with. Um, and specifically with Mon Mothma's standpoint is that she wants to, uh, she wants to get the message out there that the emperor did die, uh, uh, over endor and uh she wants people to know that and like there are still people denying it there are still people like we see on the halcyon there are people who like um i i heard uh i heard that was just like uh those were just like rebels like making shit up and like <laughs> they and like there are a lot of people who are still skeptical about it like did the emperor really die like is it really gone and uh, you know he's gonna return somehow later uh mm. but that doesn't get addressed in this book uh but um at the end of the day, I think it's all about hope and like what Star Wars is about. And like, you want people to hope that like, yeah, like we want a major victory against the empire. So they are vulnerable, but at the same time, you don't want them to become so uh, fixated on like the empire being beaten that they forget. Like we still got work to do and we've mm-hmm. still got, uh, We still got plans to liberate the empire still out there. Like they're still uh, planning things. They're still coalescing. They're still bringing people in for like further operations. They've still got plans and we got to be ready for that. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's a difficult balancing act to pull off there. And uh, we see that with this book with Mon Moppa trying to be like, just try to put on a, like make it look like you're on a good honeymoon with your husband, show the galaxy that like, that like we're doing good now, like things are starting to get better. Uh, And, yeah and the uh, leia's uh leia's kind of skeptical about it and uh she's and we see her diff- her frustration with people on the halcyon who are like uh people who are people who are working with the empire like that uh like that uh, like that that uh Killad dude uh who uh, mm-hmm. who uh plots and kind of plots to kidnap leia and then fails um there are people <laughs> who work with the empire and uh who are out of a job now and like they and like they don't like the empire but at the same time they didn't have anything else uh, to support mm-hmm. them financially um, mm-hmm. so getting to see that stuff and like the different reactions to the empire being gone among the people who even believe that the empire is defeated uh, really cool that we're getting to see those perspectives
0: yeah i mean to answer my own question yeah i mean it's interesting that in the narration leia is clearly a little disappointed and kinda, concerned people aren't except believing her and like why don't you believe me? Yeah, like he said, please believe us. The emperor's dead. You know, you gotta say, uh, Mon Mothma definitely milking it for all it's worth, uh, as she should. It's the the big, PR coup and having her mind on the PR coup and uh, the fact that you know, that that the, they go into that in this book. I I kind of wonder, I if they if if Beth Revis got some production notes from Andor at least in terms of. Mon's character, if there's going to be some sort of connection, at least in Mon's ability to uh, to score the diplomatic hit, and, and I know, mean she,
2: you know? she, I mean she had to have gotten notes uh, regarding Obi Wan because Leia does mention Lola uh, in yes. the first few chapters, which right. is really cool.
0: I love that yeah. little shout yeah. out there. <laughs> so, uh, I, I,
1: oh, go I'm going to say I, I think one thing that you know we have to keep in mind about the Battle of Endor, this is yeah. opposite of the Battle of Exegol. I just think is what they were trying to go for in that yeah. movie. Um, Endor was not the galaxy rising up against the Empire. And it's like, no, we're done with you. It's like, no, it's like the galaxy was just kind of sitting on the sidelines doing its thing. It's like Endor was kind of this this trap and this last effort by the Rebellion. It's like, oh, no, they got another Death Star. We got to blow this up. Mm-hmm. Um, remember, it's not like the galaxy was in total uprising. The Emperor seemed pretty secure in his little throne. He got his Death Star coming. The Emperor was like, I'm going to finally get rid of the Rebellion once and for all. And then, obviously, his overconfidence was his weakness. He dies. And then the the, the, uh, the Death Star exploded. And so, sort of like, everyone's like, oh, shoot. Didn't expect that to happen. So, like, yeah. the galaxy wasn't really prepared for this. The it Empire kind of wasn't prepared. The Empire wasn't prepared for this. You know, but mm-hmm. the Empire didn't. You know, it wasn't. The Battle of Endor didn't happen it missed a massive uprising. Right. It happened kind of like, oh, dang. It's like now all these Stormtroopers. like, what do we do? It's like mm-hmm. we stay. We fight Chaos. Um, because you know, again, the em- it wasn't the you know, correspond was still pretty secure at the time, and the yeah, emperor had all those bases and stuff. So it's like
0: mm-hmm.
1: everyone was kind of shocked this happened.
0: Yeah, I mean, even see you know, on Ida Versio's face, right? She's she's looking up and she sees it explode, and oh, this actually happened. Wow, I can't believe it. You know, again, I can't believe it happened again. Um, yeah, you, you know, Jakku is is more like Exegol, right? It is this a big you know on mass uh this this large fleet of i mean in this case it is the new republic fleet finally uh finally mobilizing to take out the remnants of the empire yeah that's a great point um you know we we just think endor is the big climax because since 1983 it's that was the end of the trilogy the end of the story happily ever after um you know, you know, everything you know, every story from truce of Burkura all the way until you know uh princess and the scoundrel trying to articulate what's the next step and you know one of the thing, things they had to deal with is this guy han um you know and we'll go into the dynamic between leia and han at the end because that is the heart of the story but uh let's we'll talk about han the scoundrel and, and that's that's one of the things i like, meant i mentioned you know we didn't talk about uh in our, in our introduction, a little we didn't talk about the Halcyon and Galactic Star Cruiser. We also didn't really talk much about Han. He kind of gets lost in the shuffle, at least early on. And he isn't uh, between the two of them, he isn't the stronger character. And that's not necessarily a knock on him. He just he isn't maybe the most dynamic or interesting character to maybe just the three of us. I don't know, um, especially earlier on his motion, his motivations. Uh, maybe to, you know they they pale in contrast to Leia's wider view. Uh, Maybe that's just me. Maybe that his romantic motivations aren't as interesting as Leia's diplomatic, political, military motivations. She's so committed to her job. I don't know if that's true for for either of you, but yeah. uh, And I think that's part of what could have driven the story forward more clearly is if Han's motivations were a little more compelling. I will say, though, as the book goes on... uh, and, and it provides this opportunity to explore. Hold on a second. The, from his point of view, he was just on Cloud City. Uh, he was just frozen. And then he was just freed by Leia. And, the, and and from everyone's point of view, he was just freed by Leia. And then the victory at Endor. It's, it's incredibly fast. And we feel it's been a long time for him. It's been, yeah, just a few weeks since Bespin frankly you know if if conscious we don't know but uh you know he, he's been asleep effectively although, um, although he we does we
2: mention although he yeah. does mention at one point that leia did tell him about uh, kira taking him and uh sure
0: and, uh, and so yeah like th- those things get filled in but it his experience of time it's very fast and probably genuinely traumatic and the way God. it explores uh, i mean the the, the way uh what well, the book explores just uh the, the cold, a dry cold, uh, you know, being stuck up in carbon. Here's Han Solo, the scavenger likes to explore and, and get out and um, get into trouble. And here he is cooped up in this box, uh, this, this, this slab, and can't go anywhere. And even if he isn't conscious, there's probably something even in his own body that is, uh, that is incredibly uh, destabilizing and traumatizing. Um, and so that got interesting, got better later on. You know, at first it's kind of this weird, he's just grizzly and grumpy. But um, yeah, definitely much more of a softy comes out. And, and, I, and i appreciate probably going through this experience. He's be, you know, going through processing with Leia, with uh, everything on Maduras, uh, processing his own pain at, and suffering at this experience of being in Carbonite and then coming out and not having to, not being able to be the hero because Luke and Leia are the heroes, really. I mean, Han's involved on Endor, but uh, not so much. And then, uh, Doc, as you mentioned, Beck from a Smuggler's Run by Greg Recko, which I, admit I haven't read, but thanks to the Wikipedia for telling me. That was a great moment in the audiobook where uh, just all out of the blue, this high pitched voice, I will, I forget the, the line, but uh, coming in, uh, stepping onto the scene. Uh, I mean, that's another th- common theme with Han is his past catches up to him. His past as a smuggler, troublemaker, ruffian, whatever, um, now trying to do good by Leia and the rebellion and the galaxy catches up to him. So that's that's Han's character, uh, Doc, of, of all those things, in terms of especially with the way it describes, explores his experience um, from... Uh, Cloud City Onward and everything with Beck and Smugglers Run and whatnot. Uh, wh- what do you think of, of Han's character?
2: Uh, yeah, I loved Han in this. He was really fun. Um, I loved his, uh, like, he just wants to spend time with his wife and, like, the galaxy keeps pulling him away from that. Like, he just wants to spend time with the person he loves. He's, he's sick of the war. He's sick of all the fighting and, like, the spying and everything. He just wants to settle down and just, like, take a break for once yeah. in his life. Uh, but uh, he can't because the galaxy will always be in turmoil. It is a, it is a, it is a star Wars is like star Wars. There's always going to be war. There's always going to be things to deal with. Um, and uh, like, even when he's just relaxing on the Halcyon, he runs into a guy who openly says he's going to try to kidnap his wife. And he has to deal with that. And, uh, Like, just all these little things, and, like, they try to go to, like, the Ice Moon Madurs, they try to settle down there, but the Empire is stationed there. Oh, and there's this Alicia Beck uh, lady who uh, tried to kill him back during the Galactic Civil War, so he's got to deal with that now, and, like, all this stuff. And, uh, yeah, Han is a guy who is constantly trying to, like, just live his life, but his life won't let him. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's just so caught up in like all of his mistakes and all of his past actions and all the people he's scorned and all the people he's stabbed in the back and all the people he's just uh, uh, left by the wayside and they all come back to haunt him and Leia. And um, I like that despite all of that, he still tries to just do his best to make Leia happy Mm -hmm. and to show her that like, we can we can relax. We can take a break. We don't have to constantly be working for the rebellion. We don't have to constantly be working at PR or like you know stopping the empire or investigating insurgencies or any of that stuff. Um, and of course, Leia is always going to be obligated to that. But at the same time, Han has to help her remember that she's still a person and she can still enjoy life. She can still you know have fun. She doesn't mm-hmm. have to be constantly looking behind her back the entire time and. But Leia is also there to remind Han that sometimes you need to take action. Sometimes you need to get back in the game. So like Han and Leia really balance each other out in that kind of way. Yeah. Like they remind each other that there's more to life than what they're each currently doing. And uh, it's really cool that we get to see that relationship uh, flourish so much, especially with um, Han just trying his damnedest to just uh, make a good impression on, on the galaxy as like Leia's husband. But he's Han, so we can't <laughs> do that. Uh, and it's uh, very fun and like the way Lando and Chewie are constantly prodding at him and like uh, trying to get him to just uh, change up his image and like uh, look apart, and he's failing at it at every single turn and just wear so- a suit
0: to his wedding <laughs> yeah exactly right. yeah yeah uh, I mean so you mentioned you said two things there Doc you said he wants to live his life just live his life wants to settle down and relax uh Joel asked this question. Is that a a change in his character, at least in terms of wanting to settle down and relax? Because previously living his life meant smuggling beyond the run, getting into trouble, uh, being the the scoundrel. Um, Is that a change or do you see more consistency with his character from before?
1: I think it's a bit of both. I think Han, the appeal of Han Solo has always been he's the everyman in the wacky universe. He is the guy who's like, you know, he sees the force and sees all the Jedi cosmic stuff and he's the guy who'll go, well, that's just weird. <laughs> um, you know, that's kind of, and I think that's what makes the appeal of Star Wars so fun. It's like, you know, yeah, you got all this cosmic stuff. Then you got that one guy who's like, well, what the heck is all this nonsense? He's like, he's the audience <laughs> speaking, like, what is all this? Um... And I think for Han, I think in a sense, he's a simple guy who wants simple things. And I think now that he's found out that, you know, he can have love and family and friends and has sort of shed or re- shed off the selfishness that he sort of built over the years. And if, if we believe so if we take solo the movie is in, into account, you know, he mm-hmm. has once again become as as Kira said, you're the yeah. good good guy. You're the good guy, you're the good man. Um I forget what she says, good guy. Good you're man. the good guy, yeah you're the good guy, um, which I think is sort of the idea. Of, like, Han's always, in the deep down, is a good guy who just, mm-hmm. you know, he just sort of got beaten down. Um, and yeah, you start like, you know, maybe he starts thinking more than just adventured with his b- buddy Chewie. He might sit down, have a kid, little Han Jr. Um, and I think that's always sort of been Han, is sort of, he kind of comes at thing. He understands and he learns to understand the bigger picture, like, you know, the force, all mm-hmm. of it. You know, I've always said, Uh, My favorite version of Han Solo is *Force Awakened* Han Solo. I think that is the the natural conclusion to his arc (laughs) as a character. Um, But even when he comes about doing like you know the Force, the Jedi Resistance, all of it, at the end of the day, he's just all about wanting to get Ben back to the to the good side and save his soul, regardless of you know kind of the bigger picture. So I think it it's evolution, but it's at the core of Han Solo is just an average guy the good guy was very basic morals. <laughs> well I mean I mean morals, but just sort of like you yeah. get the end of the day kind of like like oh forget the complicated mumbo jumbo. This is just <laughs> this is just how it's you know this like this simple. Yeah uh, mass is math <laughs> <laughs> mass
0: is math. Yeah it's yeah. interesting uh you know and 30 hours to go into Landor. just putting that out there <laughs> it, it's interesting yeah you, you know Cura is able to to see peer into his soul and see he's the good guy. It's just, it's buried under all his experiences on Corellia and all his experiences, uh, with Beckett and then with Jabba. And, uh, yeah, I mean, then being in this case of carbonite, uh, you know, that, you know, he, he doesn't have to fight anymore and, uh, he stops, he stops fighting and starts loving and living. And, um, then he goes back to fighting, and we'll get to that in a bit, but, yeah. I mean, I wonder if it's a way of saying the best way of putting it is um, that soft core was always there. It just needed to be excavated and it gets excavated through experiences. And uh, this brings us to the the principal scalpel chisel of, of Han's life. But uh, the, the main character of this book in her own right, as we've mentioned, uh, the princess, the general and the Jedi. Leia, Organa, Solo, Skywalker. Um we see, I mean, this is very consistent. Uh, the way Beth Revis writes, writes her, I think, is very consistent with everything we've seen. And, and because Leia is such a consistent character, uh, very strong and soft at the same time, you know, so focused on her job that she needed Mon to convince her that the Halcyon trip had political implications. And it wasn't just a private honeymoon that you, you can take your time off because you're not really taking time off and that, I mean, that's definitely played as a a character weakness for Leia that Han has to point out, has to name. Um, uh, But then, you know, I mean, in terms of um, both, uh, you know, this adventure on Majors does, uh, does show both. It shows strong and soft. It shows the political and the personal, I mean, to, to hearken to the great feminist slogan the, polit- the personal is political Leia embodies that in such profound ways um, yeah Leia embodies that in such profound ways you know that uh, externally and talking about what is what is the sustainable way forward for the galaxy you know clearly the empire is is it's gone it's fractured here's the republic come to rebuild um, Leia's life isn't gone, it's, it's just changed in these profound ways through the rebellion. Uh, and so you know externally, uh, through seeing you know, like we talked about with art and with uh, the relationship with the planet and its species, you know, um, you know seeing Yen's delicate handling, Prime minister's his delicate handling of the imperial presence and subtle resistance and how that and the development of society and culture, uh, beyond the war is, is what I'm getting. What comes after the war is uh, building societies and cultures, including art. And I think she has a renewed appreciation for art and the capability of art, not in a very Thrawn way. Thrawn is trying to study art to learn to how to destroy people. Appropriate. Appropriate. Appropriate, yeah. She's trying to learn how art builds people up and connects them to their past and to their present. And then I think the most important, most interesting thing that happens in this book, uh, internally, and the way she, like I said, a Jedi, she connects with the Force. Uh, a moment that's very reminiscent of Ezra, Ezra and Mil, Ezra and the Pergill, not Ezra Miller, Ezra Bridger and the Pergill, um, but I, I think, yeah, um, But I think a different angle. Yeah, uh, but I think you know, I think this is actually closer to to Ray in the Rocks. Um, not just lifting rocks, I think, and especially the way the uh, the last Jedi novelization talks about submitting. We even hear Leia with echoes uh, of that narration. Uh, I forget who wrote the novelization, but I mean, Brian Johnson, the film, brings it out beautifully. Uh, you know, of submitting uh, to the will of the force and decentering herself and finding that life, just like Luke will teach Ray on Octo, uh, finding that life within herself, that balance within herself and how that is then the first step in her reconciling with her blood lineage, everything to do with Vader. Um, I I know I don't recall there being too much about Padme in this but um, I mean the the connection with bloodline here, very strong connection of she is the daughter of of Darth Vader slash Anakin Skywalker Um, and of course the conflict in that, right? She's so repulsed by that um, and yet, like Joel, you mentioned, she's incredibly, very much made for war. She's a general, uh, just like her father was a general in the Clone Wars. Of course, just like Vader was, was the Emperor's pit bull. Um, Doc, I'll throw this to you. Uh, I'll, I missed, listed a whole bunch of stuff. Specifically, I want to ask uh, you know the adventure on and everything she goes through. What do you think of? leia's character specifically and and what she discovers
2: uh, i thought that was cool i thought uh, nurse was an interesting location uh, i like the ice motif i like uh the i like just the uh kind of mystery around it at first like they keep asking about the empire but they very clearly don't want to talk about it yeah um uh, they have to do some exploring themselves and they find out like oh the empire left this big thing here that's drilling the core uh to uh plunder its resources mm-hmm. and um I like that the people there are like, like the captain dude are very much like uh, the empire uh, wanted us to uh, work with them, but we didn't want to, but okay. uh, they didn't, they didn't give us a choice. So uh, they yeah. just, they just stuck themselves here and they've been here. Uh, they stayed here even after the emperor died, died again. Um, but um I, I like that uh I like that we're seeing that planets are still not safe from the Empire even after yeah. the, the 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 victory at Andor, at Endor. Endor. Endor and Um I like that um I like that seeing that yeah the war's not over yet, even yeah. though they kind of won it technically. Uh they're still fighting the Empire. The Empire's still doing its thing. Um uh, and uh yeah. even though uh the big like consensus among the galaxies that the Empire's done that doesn't mean the empire has stopped doing what it's doing like it's Mm -hmm. still subjugating people it's still uh plundering resources and i like that leia's instincts were ultimately kind of right like uh like they're not done and like they're Mm -hmm. always gonna have work to do and um you know it's sad that they had to interrupt their honeymoon in order to stop the empire again uh but that's that's what the empire does and um i like uh having to um I like having to see Leia try to balance her personal life and her political life. And I like getting to see that, uh, she doesn't have control over what, uh, the empire is going to do. She doesn't have a control mm. over what galaxy is going to do. She just has to go in and do what she can and help however she can and just hope for the best. And like, uh, that also plays thematically into, uh, into uh, leia prince of alderaan and bloodline as well because in leia prince of alderaan you know uh she's having to make a difficult decision between whether whether she wants to help her dad and their whole growing rebellion on uh, on alderaan or whether she wants to stay out of it and uh you know that comes to a head with Kier, uh, her original love interest in that <laughs> book he gets involved and he ends up dying because of that and um Same with Bloodline, where she tries to keep her political and personal life separate, but then her political enemies end up revealing to the galaxy that she's the daughter of Darth Vader. Uh, So I really like this running theme between all three of these novels of Leia trying to maintain her own happiness and her own life separate from her life as a senator and a princess, but they Mm -hmm. always end up ramming into each other no matter what.
0: Yeah, great point. Yeah, especially that through line between the... the, the you know the, the three novels again the the tensions between personal and political specifically that moment when she, they're underwater and uh looks like all hope is lost and um you know the that last engine just isn't going to go cuz i think they ran out of of uh, torpedoes she summons these the, the edons or or she calls for help uh what what did you what did you think of that moment what did you uh what does that moment speak to you
2: about? Um, I just think it shows that Leia never gives up. Uh, she never, uh, even when things are looking bad and even when things uh, seem like they're hopeless, she always like, screw it, I'm gonna keep going anyway, even if there isn't anything else I can do. And she and they do end up getting a small victory in the end again, like there's still. Murder still isn't like fully stable. It's gonna take a lot to keep that place from falling apart. But mm-hmm. for the moment they did win. And just like just like with the Empire itself, they found a moment of temporary peace. And like they're just gonna latch onto that as long as they can before the next thing rears its ugly head. Mm-hmm. But uh, the point is that Leia never gives up and she mm-hmm. always tries to make sure that she can make things as best they possibly can, even in an impossible situation.
0: Yeah, I mean that that you're just saying that brings me to that moment in The Last Jedi. Where she's, well, they've summoned everybody, and uh, all hope is lost, and, and yeah, and then at that moment, even even she looks like she's about to give up. But then in walks Luke. Um, before we do get to Luke, Joel, I'll ask you. You have a, you want to you something about Leia's reflections on not just reflections, but uh, trying to come to grips with her being the daughter of Anakin Skywalker, the daughter of Darth Vader. Uh, what did you see? In, in this novel about Leia and Anakin and Vader.
1: I mean, it's interesting. I mean, I, I've i always said, I think I've said this on the podcast, you know, we've gotten, when it comes to Vader, we always get a very more Luke-centric kind of point of view about it. It's like, he did the thing and then he got redeemed and now happy Force Ghost at yeah. the end of Return of the Jedi. It's like, well, you know, to you, Luke, that's all well and good, but, you know, to Leia, she knew Vader a lot longer than you did. You know, he <laughs> was Bale and Brea's daughter and they probably were always Toe, and toe to toe with Vader on a number of occasions, her you know, free political activism in the Senate. And then mm-hmm. later in the rebellion, you know, Vader is kind of always loomed as this malevolent shadow mm-hmm. over her life for years. I mean, you know, Vader actively tortured Leia, as we yeah. remembered on the in the Death Star, and <laughs> was there. To Tarkin ordered the destruction of Alderaan mm-hmm. so to find out. Oh yeah, he's also your dad. Um, yeah, she's not going to be happy about that. You know, she kind of like just kind of gets mad, at, like even like. Vader gets this funeral burn pyre, the right. man who slaughtered millions of good rebel troops. Just for what? Just because he tossed the Empire emperor down a shaft? Didn't even kill him. <laughs> or just went to Exegol.
2: Uh-huh. You know, so, I also love that thought Leia has, where she thinks yeah. to herself, uh, Darth Vader became Ash,
1: while my dad, Bail Organa, became Stardust.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, exactly. Very poetic, yeah. Um,
1: but yeah. Um, but also, I think the kind of the irony is Leia can't escape the fact She's very much Anakin's daughter um, as well. She's very strong-headed. I mean, Padme was that too, but like, you know, when they're, I mean, they're both kind of the same in a lot of ways. Strong-headed, you know, mm-hmm. kind of gung-ho, very loyal to their friends, very passionate. Um, kind of can get easily um, upset about things. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, there's a little moment where like, oh, is Leia tapping into the dark side and now an endor for a second? Uh, you know, it's like, we're not tapping yeah. into it. Like like the anger and the emotions definitely yeah. get to her as well. And also kind of accidentally causing the, the problem on Madura herself by kind of going, kind of like getting a little too investigative, you know. To, to quote Avatar, there is no war on Botting Say, <laughs> um, I had to get to do that. But, um, you know, kind of, you know, trying to be so preventative of something, you cause the thing that you tried to prevent in the first place. Um, and I've always felt this kind of the dynamic between, you know, Leia and Anakin, uh, where I always felt like you know, Anna, Leia had a little bit, a lot of Anakin in her, mm-hmm. and I think she kind of had to grapple with that. Um, you know, as much as she, to her Bail and Brea are her true mother and father in every yeah. sense.
0: again, get uh, Luke was never a general, from what I can tell, at least not really, uh, very often. Leia was a general. Anakin was a general. Uh, <laughs> you know, we see that in Clone Wars. Uh, speaking of Luke, very quickly. Uh, really interesting moment here. I mean, part of what's happening is you know, this is leading to that flashback in, in Rise of Skywalker. We see Leia training with Luke, tra- having her own lightsaber, all that. Um, and even a, a, this question of a renewed Jedi presence mm-hmm. in Republic Affairs. I think we, we've talked about that in previous episodes. Kind of what could have been, I, I thought that was really interesting. Um, you know, if Leia had continued her training, if Luke had stuck around. Hosdian Prime and, or, or Chandrilla and and built up the Jedi like in, in the late republic like in the old republic mm-hmm. um very interesting that teasing these possibilities um specifically Luke in his presence very very light touch thankfully because otherwise he would have overwhelmed it Joel you said you seems you, you want to make a bit of a, a quick comment about Luke in this novel
1: yeah just interesting kind of the, the continued direction they've gone for post endor luke ultimately end with you know last guy and epilogue and Ride skywalker of like luke's going for a very lonely life here yeah i think you know more in a way that even he didn't in legends where it's like he really wants leia to join him um but without that it's sort of like oh luke kind of gonna be kind of by himself now i mean obviously he's not gonna like physically isolate himself although it doesn't seem he doesn't hang out with a lot of his friends afterward but mm-hmm. you know we see he hangs out with Lando and Shadows of the Sis with the adventure sure. but you know he's kind of going that prequel path of detachment and you know not letting himself get too involved with others um and, you know like Liam Leakins said like oh you're going down a path of a very lonely life here very mm-hmm. lonely Luke and I just yep. find that very interesting that's kind of the continued path that we've seen him on in Bando in Shadow of the Sis and Last Jedi and now in here, kind of his direction as a Jedi. Mm-hmm. I think that's fascinating.
0: Yeah, um, I guess I don't know, if, Doc. If you want to, oh yeah, yeah, you're you're back. Uh, do you have any any quick thoughts on Luke before we get to the last uh, last chunk of topic?
2: Um, I really like just uh, just like sarcastic, like dry humor, Luke. I really <laughs> like that we get that in this book. Like, I like how he. I like how he like, you know, nudges uh, Han Han about uh, you know the wedding and everything. I love how he uh uh just uh, tries to be supportive of their relationship uh while also uh just kind of being like just acknowledging how awkward this is. I love the I love the acknowledgement of the kiss in Empire <laughs> Strikes back. Um I love when uh you know he just kind of comes up with Han. They just kinda of agree to never speak about it again. Um, I think I, I love all that stuff, just nods mm-hmm. and winks like that. Um, and I also like Luke trying to be genuinely supportive of Leia, despite uh, not understanding just the complexity of her emotions right now, like mm-hmm. you know, dealing with her relation to Vader and how vader treated her and everything like you know luke doesn't fully understand um everything she's going through right now but he still tries to be supportive even though uh he doesn't fully comprehend one of my favorite moments is when he tries to tell leia what vader told him to tell her like you were right tell your sister you were right and uh he tries to tell her that but leia's just like i I don't want to hear i don't Mm want to hear what vader had to say about me and luke just doesn't tell her. And I think that's really cool. Like he just, re- he doesn't fully understand what Leia is going through, but he still understands that she's hurting and this isn't what she needs right now. She doesn't need to hear that. She doesn't need to know about Vader's approval. She doesn't need to know about that uh, because, because she doesn't what she needs right now. So <laughs> uh, he's just going to understand that. And I love that uh, even though they are strained in that way with how they each relate to Vader uh leia still looks looks to luke for support and i love the final uh thing i think in the final chapter when leia just thinking to herself like you know i, I never want to be like vader but at the same time i can't figure to spore stuff out on my own so i'll try to see if luke can help me out with that and mm-hmm. uh, i love the representation of their relationship in this book and uh, uh leia and luke especially feel like siblings in this book they feel like siblings who have had different relationships with uh their father and uh and like one doesn't fully understand the other because of how differently Vader treated each of them ultimately, um, but they're still they're still siblings and they still love each other and they're still going to support each other no matter what. And I really love that portrayal of their relationship.
0: Yeah, just it, it's so fascinating to see Luke, the hero, the main character uh, from since 1977. He entirely exists in this novel just to support Han and Leia's character. Uh, again, the light touch. Like Vader and Rogue One, you know, just, just there for Krennic's character and then for the rebellion, just little light moments to move the plot along, doesn't overwhelm. Okay. Uh, the you know, we're an hour twenty in, but uh, I think I wanna spend a little bit more time just looking at the relationship between Lei and Han. We've talked about this quite a bit. Uh, but and there I have I want to do this in two segments. Um, Joel, you see that in the notes, but uh, two aspects of this, the present and the future, but let's focus on the present for now. Um, yeah. I, I said, it's sparky. There's a lot of like, they raise their voice to each other. They could probably should, uh, should they gun, you know, premarital counseling if it were possible. Mm-hmm. Um, extremely fast. Han just gets out of carbon. Like I mentioned before, he, they, they just, uh, defeat the empire and Endor. you know, the imperial forces on Endor, and boom, uh, will you marry me? I love you. I know. Will you marry me? Et cetera. You know, it, it, if I were, if I were the, their pastor, I would say, uh, you don't want to take some time <laughs> for rushing into this, but that, I mean, to Beth Revis's credit, she definitely, um, she definitely explores that and doesn't paper over that, uh, you know, and, and I think this is a great picture of people working through things, a couple, a new couple working through things, Working through their tensions, having it out, really. Uh, you know, I, I think there's a moment where um, Han, I, th- I think this is right, or maybe I'm confusing it with another story, but uh, Han is <clears throat> upset with Leia because Leia goes and tells reporters what she's thinking and feeling and, and goes off and makes a plan by herself. And even if Han just wants to enjoy the the vacation, he's upset because she didn't trust him to, to partner with her. And I love that. That is so incredibly real. It's realistic. It's human. Um, and, and, and in that conversation, they find a partnership. Conflict can be this incredibly creative tool for compromise when it's an honest expression of real feelings and real expectations. And um, so, you know, at first it was a little uncomfortable. Oh, I mean, especially, again, Mark Thompson doing an incredible job of, of you know, Han raising his voice to his wife and of course Leia giving it right back uh, you know um, gonna get her name, scroll, scroll all the way up. What's her name? Uh, you know, Seskia Marlevel doing a great job of giving it all right back um, but again at the end they, they find this this wonderful softness. I mean everything gets excavated. Han has to accept his wife's public image and has to accept her responsibilities and his role now in the co-pilot seat of uh, mm. of Leia's political career. You know, he's so used to being the pilot of the Falcon. Now he's on this other ship called Leia's political career and public image, and he's in the co-pilot seat. And, and I think uh, he he fights, really fights to, to accept that and, and works hard to accept that. Leia, uh, you know, as, as I, I alluded to above, um, looking within, she has to go within, and Han is there to help her look within and embrace being more human, being more emotive, embracing the cap- capacities of art and beauty in her own life, uh, her relationship okay. with Han and her relationship with Luke, like we mentioned, not just for the public, but for herself. And so, um, I, yeah, it was, uh, again, uh, I, I, it would be nice you know, in the real world to be good if they had more time. They don't have more time. It's, it's, a, it's a war. Uh, this is this, this weird sci-fi situation that I'm sure lots of people in the real world find themselves, but uh, ultimately I found their conflict and their creative conflict and their partnership really uh, satisfying. Uh, Joel, I'll throw this to you, What did you think of? Just the dynamic in the moment? Between Leia and Han, throughout this book. yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, you know, Star Wars in relationship has always been flip, flimsy at best. Uh, yeah, I, I, I once said even with Doc on a kind of, uh, um, an episode. Uh, you know, Han and Leia's uh, dynamic in Empire. Eh, there's some moments where it's gets like, a little touchy, but ultimately, yeah. um, that's the eighties for you. Um, Was it good then? Um, but you know, I think in terms of like modern day. I think they managed to make it work. And I think, you know, really goes to show just how how Han is a way better person than Anakin ever was. Um, (laughs) uh, In terms of like, you know, Anakin and Padme, they got married in the middle of a war and look how well that turned out. Mm -hmm. Uh, It destroyed the galaxy. Um, But, you know, Han, Han is many things. Han is not, never um, possessive of Leia. Han is very, I think, never shows that, you know, kind of, you know, disrespect in a sense to Leia. You know, she'll she'll still stand up to her and she'll stand up to him and you know he, he won't, you know, like he doesn't care that she's a princess, you know. She's like, you're on this ship, you know, <laughs> don't you know, don't be princessy about it. Um, which Leia never is. Um and mm-hmm. but she'll just um they do respect each other and even though they fight, you know, Han's never like, you know, possessive or super toxic about it you know in that sense like in a sense like i feel like anakin would i mean we saw how bad he got with yeah. revenge assist by the end um you know han's never liked that leia's not like that to, to to um and also you know kind of like anakin you know han's kind of more in the padme role of like you know don't shut me out let me in let mm-hmm. me help you you know han might not understand all the politics or the force but he's like you know like like I support you because you're my wife, even though this is a big con, you know. Like, of course, I'm going to help you with a con, even though I <laughs> think it's ridiculous. That's what I do. Yeah. Um, and they think they, because you know, ultimately, it it does somewhat succeed for them, their marriage. I mean, people yeah. always act as if in Force Awakens they got divorced the day after Endor. It's like, no, they yeah. had a good thirty years. It's just. Their kid went to the dark side, and
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah, that would separate the parents too. I mean, yeah. get we'll, we'll get
0: to that in a, in a few minutes, but yeah, keep going.
1: Right, uh, you know, but for the most part, their relationship dynamic is strong. You know, it kind of gets kind of edges away some of the more uh, questionable things of A's writing. Um, but I've always felt, you know, like yeah, Han and Leia have always kind of been probably the better of the relationships of at least the, the saga films so far. I mean, they are in a relationship, and, you know, they fight, yes, but um they do respect one another, and I think at the end of the day, that's what counts, the respect.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, It's interesting you, meant, you mentioned everything with Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. This is the first time it really felt realistic, and the first, you know, I mean, yeah, kane and Hera, thinking about that one, that one was pretty good. I mean, if it takes four years for them to actually finally kiss but uh this is the first time han and leia really felt human and genuinely in love even as they're having it out and hashing it out um and then you know the result of that uh, the the way they show up for each other uh doc you you just look like you want to chime in there, there
2: uh yeah um Uh, Yeah, I love, again, I love Han and Leia's dynamic in this book. Uh, I love how they balance each other out. I love how they push each other to uh, uh, look outside uh, how they usually go about things. Um, I just want to read probably one of my favorite passages from this book. It's a short conversation between Han and Leia, Mm -hmm. and it's a conversation actually referencing an issue from Charles Soule's Star Wars comic, Mm -hmm. where uh, the issue where where Kira beats Leia and Mm -hmm. tells her that story about how Han saved that kid on Corellia. Uh, Yeah, uh, this is uh, such a good passage. Um, Yeah, I'll just read it right here. It's a short exchange.
0: What page page are we on?
2: Uh, It's the beginning of chapter 51. Okay. Uh, Yeah, page 294 to 295. Uh, It's a short conversation between them, and I'll change up my voice so you know who's talking.
0: There we go. I got a performance right here. Go for it. (laughs) So,
2: so, yeah, Leia meets with Han, and and she's just like, I met Kira. And Han's like, Kira, my Kira? She's like, you're Kira? He's like, you know what I mean. And then uh, and then uh, she says, uh, she told me a story about you. Han's like, oh no. And then she says, it was a good story. I highly doubt that. <laughs> uh, she said you got into a fight to help out a boy you didn't even know. That the goons were going to kill you until your crime boss stepped in. Kira made it sound like you were a fool to help. I was. You made a difference to that kid you saved. You gotta start somewhere. I love that. Uh, and just like echoing that line that Han says to Kieran that flashback, you gotta start somewhere. Like, even when, even when, uh, you know, you're surrounded by impossible odds, as Han so often is, uh you know, he's always willing to help. He's always willing to step in and help people. Even if it doesn't work out, you gotta start somewhere. And that's such a good, like, that's such a good encapsulation of how Leia, you know, sees Han. Like, Han's always presenting himself as the cool guy; doesn't care about anything. But Leia knows he's the good guy, and she knows that he's always going to step his foot in and help out whenever he can, even if it backfires on him. He's always going to be there to help.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, like like we've said before. You know, I mean the the arc uh, for Han is he, he's yeah you know, the excavation of his character, of his moral moral core, going meeting Leia and Luke and the rebellion and having this cause. And seeing that, you are kind of like, uh, like Jin, right? That there's more to fight for in the galaxy. Um, yeah, this book does such a great job of reflecting on that, even as Leia, I think is the more compelling character. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's true. They, they do end up going for a while and lasting for a while. I do want to at the risk of ending on a, on a, a dark note or a sad note though. I mean, uh, we know, uh, you know, by, by the end of the, well, by, by Force Wicked*, they are separated, though. And, uh, you know, I think part of what Beth Revis is doing is showing the cracks in the foundation. Uh, hairline fractures, that are, they're hairline fractures now, but um, something, yeah, like their sun turning to the dark side, it makes it seismic. I mean, like Madura's, it's a metaphor mm-hmm. <laughs> for their relationship it raises these questions, right? How long, and and the, the answer is for a while for a number of decades. Um, but also the cracks in the foundation, how long can Han stand next to Leia? the politician? He really ultimately does want to get his hands dirty, even legitimate enterprises. He hopes for a more expressive relationship. Uh, He makes a home for her on the Falcon, uh, we know, but, you know, well, I'll say he makes a home for the Falcon. We know uh, from Daniel Jose Older's last shot they end up settling on Hosnian Prime because Leia's job demands it. Uh, how long can he stay cooped up? Just like cooped up in Carbonite, cooped up on a planet's side. I'm sure his job could take him wherever. Last shot takes him wherever. But, you know, how long could he stay home is on a planet as opposed to the Falcon? Similarly, how long can Leia abide her, her gruff, adventure-seeking, passionate husband? <laughs> she really does want to attend to her duties of nation-building uh, diplomacy, ultimately responding en masse to the First Order threat, uh, you know, which is something Han does take part in a little bit, at least at the beginning. She's made for war. How much, how long until she actually has to become the general again? Uh, and that Kind of limits the capacity for personal relationships. Um, I don't know if you guys, how much you guys may have saw this in this book, but do you guys think it, it how well do you think it connects with those uh, those ruptures like Starkiller Base, the, the, the seismic ruptures uh, that we see in Force Awakens? I, uh, Doc, I'll go for you okay. first.
2: I mean, it's straight up called a thermal oscillator, uh, <laughs> the thing they put down there, uh, which yeah. is awesome because thermal oscillator is just a really fun word to say.
0: Yeah,
2: um, and uh, so that's a cool connection there, and um, as
0: a metaphor for the relationship specifically. Yeah,
2: yeah, uh, definitely. And um, also, I love the. I I just like the little, like there isn't any direct references to what happens after this clearly, but uh, there are subtle references to like when they say like maybe Beck's meeting with a bunch of other Imperials uh, who are left over, and maybe they're like, uh, whether they're operating under Palpatine or someone else working for Palpatine uh what just speculating about what they're gonna do next. Uh mm-hmm. subtle allusions to the future. Yeah. Uh, and um yeah, and I think uh this uh again this symbolizes the relationship very well because like Madeir's itself, uh, the relationship, you know, uh it does have its cracks, it does have its faults, but it can work if they just uh go at it from the right angle.
0: Mm-hmm. That's true. That's a good point. Joel, you want to jump in there?
1: Yeah, I mean they ultimately separate because of their son. But, you know, Han and Leia never stop loving each other at the That's end of the day. You know, in 4th Awakening, you know, Han does come back. Even though, you know, there's a little awkwardness at the end of the day. They hug, they kiss, they like, you know, look, Han and like, Han, Leia never forgets Han. Like, it does not like hey, Leia goes for another person after Han. And Han doesn't really go. It doesn't seem to go for anybody else after Leia, really. It's just sort of, like, it's kind of dealing with stuff. And then they come back ultimately. One more time, and then Han's like ready to make the ultimate sacrifice play here. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, Han is very much the adventurer. He does like to, and I think in some ways, I think that's kind of cool. Like Leia does respect that, and Leia kind of is is used to Han kind of gallivanting around. But at the end of the day, Han always comes back to her, and she she comes back to him. So <laughs> that's 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 you know the old thing. If you love something, you set it free, and if it loved you, you'll come back and. That's kind of how it is there are two birds that always come back to each other mm-hmm. at the end of the day and i always found that about their relationship quite fascinating
0: yeah i mean i think it, it picks up the theme we've been talking about this whole for an hour and a half here of of surface and core right mm-hmm. on the surface yes they do these two different things it seem like they have to move apart but the core they're still bound together um in their love for each other and in their son, the, you know, the, the bloodline that they've, <laughs> they brought into the world and the life that they've brought into the world. Um, you know, that is a bond that frankly, I mean, again, you know, like, yeah, well, there's a great point that you mentioned, um, you know, Han sacrifices his life for the sake of the soul of this, this son of theirs, their son. I mean, that, that, that scene, uh, on, a, on the the resistance base, or not, base. our sorry, circular base. Where no, it's, oh. it's on the resistance base. Um, okay, that one. oh no, is it? I forget where it is, but oh, our sun, our sun, our sun. Yes. They 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 repeat it over and over, and um, yeah, that that is a great point. I mean, it, it's it's poignant that mid you know, we spend all this time on the surface on the ice, but then uh, yeah, that moment with with Leia and the force and. Their plan coming together happens underwater, under the surface. So, uh, again, the theme of uh, Leia having to deal with the the large scale diplomacy, uh, exploring her own connection to the Force and her own identity. Han wanting to be the smuggler, wanting to be the 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 ruffian bad guy. music ruffian it's an old word. The the bad guy, he's the good guy at heart who loves Leia. That's that is a great point, and uh, you know credit to Beth Revis for bringing all of this out, um, looking back on the moments before the, you know, the, the return of the Jedi and, and the original trilogy and everything, all the canny connections in that. Um, so, you know, that's all my notes. Uh, very quick, Joel, final thoughts on the princess and the scoundrel.
1: Good book. Um, again, really like that first act on Endor probably the most. That's probably the reason why i read it. Um, it does do a lot of good foundation setting for um, Han and Leia's relationship, both the good and the bad, and you know, kind of setting up where they, why they kind of are the way they are by the time the Force Awakens. But also, you know, reminding mm. you they had a couple good decades. And like, mm. it's like everyone says, their marriage was a failure. Like, I don't know, twenty years is actually pretty good until your kid turns evil. So, <laughs> I, I, I think I call that a success. Yeah. Um. So, uh ultimately you know i would recommend it it's good as doc says it's a good part of the this unofficial leia trilogy of you know princess scoundrel a bloodline and leia princess of alderaan it's a good han solo book and i i think as you Matthew, said and i think a little bit doc as well for the first time i was kind of like oh yeah han and leia do love each other they are a a good match <laughs> for each other and this is probably the best written they've ever been in terms of the of a love match so yeah read the book good
0: doc you you mentioned your your feelings off the top uh final thoughts on princess and the scoundrel
2: uh very good book very very good um i thought it was a very good Leia and Han story i love what it does for them as characters and their relationship love our little connections to all the comic canon and uh even a bit of an obi-wan one as well um okay. love uh just uh getting more into leia's head and to han's head and uh showing them try to deal with the end of the war while also acknowledging that it's not over yet fully. They're going to have a lot ahead of them, but they're going to push on and take their happiness where they can get it. And also, uh, I was kind of disappointed that we didn't get a moment where after Han's wedding, Balotek went up to Han and said, Han Solo, you're a wed man.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We can get that. We just got it right there. There we go. go. (laughs) Well done. Well done, Doc. Yeah, I, I mean... You know, again. I, I definitely enjoyed this book, and, and definitely the the way Beth Revis uses this situation on this planet to force the characters, push them through, as Paper Cannon does. That it's best all. All stories do at their best. Um, funny thing about talking about a, a story for an hour and a half, you you grow to appreciate it even more. Uh, so I, I I'm grateful just to be able to explore these themes and and different perspectives about them so yeah i enjoy it more than i did an hour and a half ago i enjoyed it i liked it now i think i come i've come to love it so uh definitely a great novel um sorry i've spoken a lot (coughs) tonight uh so i think that is a good place to wrap things up thanks for joining everyone uh if you liked what you heard have some thoughts Mm -hmm. please do feel free feel free free to put them in the comments below Uh, please do this. Give you, give this video, this episode, a like, a share, uh, subscribe to the Star Wars Underworld channel. If you haven't done so already, uh, also of course, check us out on Spotify and Apple podcasts. Give us a thumbs up, a like there as well. Subscription there as well. Uh, doc, where can they find you on the internet?
2: Uh, they can find me at my channel, Dr. Holocron, uh, myself and, uh, I just, uh, yeah, like Joel said, uh, we just did a commentary for Rogue One, uh, getting ready for Andor. Uh, so you can find that up on my channel. I used uh, Weird Al Scarf Beach Party for the intro music. Uh, of fitting. And uh, yeah, and uh, that got it blocked in Russia. Uh, so uh, sorry to my Russian viewers,
0: but
1: uh, I guess you don't like Weird Al over there.
0: Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> you know uh, there are worse things in the world than can be blocked <laughs> by Russia <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Joel where, where can they find you on the internet
1: uh, you can find me at GID2021 again GID2021 where I do some twitter stuff I mostly do a lot of twitter talking though with our at Can pod twitter where I've been talking about Andor and all these interesting things and, uh, a bunch of Star Wars stuff so yeah uh, you can find us there
0: yeah, again, Twitter is definitely the best way to interact with us. Um, you know, we're, we're, it's both on our phones. We're definitely checking it, looking at it. Uh, Joel definitely quick on the draw in in responding and giving his thoughts. And definitely appreciate everything you're doing over there. So, if you have any thoughts, if you have any comments, please please uh, send us send us a, a line there. Um, you can follow me on on Twitter uh, personally at nug 485 Probably a lot more to do with soccer at this point, but. In uh, Star Trek, you never know, but, uh, you got some Star Wars there too, as well, you know, interacting with, with the fandom, uh, and Instagram, MNUG1138, and yes, the, the Iron Cannon Instagram at Iron Cannon Pod, um, again, Tractor Beam, uh, every Thursday or Friday on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, uh, again, again Twitter, Instagram at Ion Cannon Pod, and at the SWU, our whole, whole network, and the Mothership Thursday night podcast, uh, lots of great conversations, lots of, you know, new podcasts growing. Um, uh, the, uh, tales from beyond the galaxy. Every Wednesday night that has just launched over on Twitch where you can also find us. I should mention on, on Twitch at iron cannon pod. You can find them at, uh, I believe it's TB. I forget the tales beyond the galaxy, but the, the acronym, uh, is where you can find them. I'll, I'll, uh, i'll retweet them in a bit but yeah great stuff going on there from down in in houston texas so the 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 fandom fam it's growing it's continues carrying on uh next week we're still we're deciding what what we're holding it open just in case andor gives us something that blows our minds it probably will um but we might have some other possibilities in mind but for now let's blow this thing and head on over to the race side